DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. Brian Keel joining us now, former BYU and NFL linebacker. He joins us on the Sprint Special Guest Line. Sprint makes it safe and easy. Get what you need online. Visit Sprint.com for online services and local store availability. Brian, good morning. Good morning. How you doing? Doing all right. Been watching a little bit of TV, and you've lived around the country and all that, and I'm just curious, what's the media missing? What do you want to see reported? What do you see out of um, all of this? Oh, man. That's a... <laughs> That's uh, we don't we don't have long enough show for me to to get into all of that. Um, there there's so much getting missed. Um, it's uh, there's just there's so many tragedies going on right now, and people on every angle, every side, every color, every race, every political spectrum. There's so much of an agenda, and everybody wants to just point to what is important to them. There's no communication. Um, there's no understanding. There's just too much shouting. And uh, there's, there's just, it's, I mean, uh, what you said, you're watching TV, that, that's just the manifestation of this lack of understanding is, is the mayhem that is just ripping across our country. And it's, it's, it's just tragic is the only word that I can adequately sum it up. When you're in college in the NFL, a lot of different races in locker rooms. How do they manage to get along? Uh, you know, I was talking to someone about this the other day. Um, I don't remember who it was, but uh, um, I, I, anyway, I mentioned a tweet that I saw of a, from a former poll. He, he tweeted something out that point. He pointed out that society, if only society could function like a locker room does, and you know, by and large, every football locker room is a very mix of social, racial, um, spiritual, and um, even, even economical varying demographics. And you have a whole, the whole gamut in, in that locker room. And by and large, everyone gets along. And a, a big part of that is because they're united in a common purpose, even though they come from differing backgrounds. Um, they're united in a common purpose and a common goal, and, and that's to, to, to be a team, to win a championship. And, and this is the same, high school, college, NFL. You have a, a, a mixture, mixed group united in a common purpose to, to win a championship. And, and so be, because they're united, they overlook those differences. And that's essentially what society needs to do. We, obviously, society is completely mixed in all of those categories and all those backgrounds. But I think that's the problem is a lot of us, we're not united in our common purpose. And so we don't work together. We just shout over each other. And, and, and we don't function like a locker room does, where there is brotherhood and camaraderie and, and joking and, and ribbing and all that good stuff. But there's also respect and understanding and good-naturedness. And, yeah, that's, that's what society needs to it really needs to imitate. And I can't recall, you know, every team you've played on, high school, college, and pro, how every season went. Is it the same when teams are bad as when they're good? Because I think we all get that the Chiefs had a lot of harmony on the way to the Super Bowl because winning's fun and winning will, you know, smooth a lot of stuff over. But when teams are losing, is it still that good? Yeah, so obviously there's different things to – the team focuses on, but yeah, I have been on both ends of it. Um, my, my rookie year, 
Um, the Giants were just coming off uh, a Super Bowl over the Patriots the first time. And, and my rookie year, we, we were the number one team in the NFC, had a, a really kind of on our way to another Super Bowl until Plaxico shot himself in the leg. Um, but anyway, so that was a really good team that I was on. And they contrasted. Um, I was on a St. Louis team that was worse in the league um, that went 2-14. and 14. And so, you know, I, I saw both sides of it. And um, it's kind of interesting because winning brings out different dynamics and losing brings out different dynamics. And even, you know, when on that St. Louis team, you know, that I was on that was this terrible. And I was also on a, a Kansas City Chiefs team. I was there for half the season one year. Um, and and the, the team went 2-14 and 14 that season, the year before Andy Reid got. Um, and, and, and terrible team in terms of football, and same with St. Louis, terrible team in terms of football. But, you know, the team, you, you, uh, you kind of grow together against that adversity. And, and so winning, losing, the teams, they function, the guys get along, because uh, you're still in it together for a common purpose. And, you know, that's what society needs to do. There's, there's a lot of stuff that's wrong with America. And, and you know, you asked at the beginning, you know, what's the media missing? If, if you came from a different planet and, and you landed here and you knew nothing about Earth and you listened to the media, you would think that America is the absolute worst place in the universe, the, the way that it's portrayed in, in the media. And America is not even close to perfect. Of course not. But it is the single greatest country in the history of the world. And if you don't recognize that and acknowledge it, you are either ignorant or blind or obtuse or a combination of all of them. And it doesn't matter what metric you want to look at in, in terms of, of prosperity, in terms of uh, lifting up the downtrodden, in terms of saving them, in, in, in terms of philanthropy, in terms of innovation, scientific uh, breakthroughs, however you want to look at it, this place that we're so fortunate to li- enough to live that is not perfect, that has a history of racism, of bigotry and prejudice, and that has all sorts of scars and imperfections, nevertheless, it is the greatest country in the history of the world. And just that right there, the fact that people can't acknowledge both sides of that coin is frustrating to me. I'm sorry, I'm to get on a soapbox, but it just it really bothers me. I'm always fascinated by how people in whatever their given environments are, how some folks succeed, some folks don't, and they come from a lot of, if not the same family, similar backgrounds and all. I want to touch on the subject of adoption, and I think most folks know that that involves you, and, and I have a little bit of experience with it, and I know for some... Uh, it was easy to accept, and for others, it had just caused all sorts of issues and created tons of problems. And with you being in that situation, how do you think you were able to succeed? So that's a great question. And again, you know, I wish I had you know a lot a lot of time to really answer it properly. But um, for, first and foremost, I was blessed to have the greatest parents that any kid could hope or wish or dream to have. Um, Gary and Nancy Keel are, are special people. And, I mean, I, you know, like I said, I don't have time to really go into uh, the depth of, of their specialness, but um, that, that was the, the first thing, that, the first key to my success was, was parents who, who genuinely treated me and loved me and, and all of my adopted siblings 
no different than the three natural kids that they, that they birthed and parented. Um, there was no difference in our treatment. So it, it, it just from the jump, that was the biggest, biggest um, building block to success is the way they treated, treated me and treated my siblings. And, um, and then on top of that, uh, you know, it's it just me personally having an understanding mind and, and just, a, a, um, I don't know, just a, a positive and optimistic outlook on it. And I understand, you know, not everyone is blessed with that situation and, and the fortune that I had to come to a good home. And there's a, a very mixed um, result in, in terms of the home and the structure and the support and the love that is offered. And so I understand that. But um, my parents, they had the highest expectations for us, and they, they gave us resources to succeed. They, um, they were... They were disciplined for us. They, they, you know, we were accountable for our mistakes. Um, they expected a lot of us. And, and when we fell short of those expectations, they let us know and there were consequences. And um, just so many things I could go on and on. But, um, yeah, I mean, that's, it was, it was, it's been a blessing in my life. And I'm you know, just forever grateful for the, the opportunity they gave me. And I understand that there's a lot of different situations that I could have ended up in. And I have empathy for those kids that don't have the the luck and the good fortune that I have. You know, going to my extended family, I can think of a half dozen adoptions off the top of my head, different generations. And you're right, it plays out different reasons. And I've heard some of the conversations, and it's just absolutely mind-blowing. And, you know, you think after you know two or three or four of the stories, but, man, the fifth one still blows your mind. So I don't, uh, we could probably discuss this for the rest of the show and it'd be fascinating. Um, but I also wanted to talk to you about football coming back. You know, you're talking to a lot of Uten Cougar fans, Aggie fans, Wildcat fans, NFL fans. It seems like it's coming back at the college and pro level. I'm pretty confident that we're going to see games here pretty quickly. But I know it's not a done deal. And I'm wondering as a player, what is the biggest hurdle? Even if it's probable to happen, which I think it is, what's the biggest hurdle in a player's mind right now? Um, you know, I, I think um, in their mind, you know, it's probably just the fear of, of what society will think about them, about the dangers of, of exposure, and then also, you know, some players will have the same fear of exposure, not just what society views it or and society perception, but the fear of personal exposure themselves. That, that's probably the biggest hurdle in their mind. Um, but, you know, most athletes are wired differently. Uh, and, you know, I, I can't speak for, for every athlete, obviously. I can only really speak for myself. But I have been around a few number of, of athletes, and I have a decent understanding of how they and myself are wired and how we think and um, most of most of us were wired differently. We want to compete, and um, and we we also are more willing to take risks than we are risk averse. Just in general, um, by our nature, compared to the, the 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 standard populace. And so my 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 guess is, and I don't know, but my guess is most players at the collegiate and the professional level are anxious to get back. They're, they're willing to take a heightened level of risk in order to get back to, to what we do. And, and I personally feel that the risk isn't as great as it's being made out to be. 
And especially, it, it actually will be really interesting to see in the next couple of weeks if there is a huge spike in cases and, and, and deaths from COVID-19 because of all the people that have not been social distancing. That will tell us a lot. If there's not a huge spike in the next couple of weeks, that will tell us a lot. And, and we'll, we'll learn a lot regardless, you know, thanks to the mayhem that has gone on for the last couple of weeks. Um, but I, I think that the, the leagues need to get back into, into play. I think that it's important for society on a, on a number of levels. And, and if I was still playing, I wish I was, if I was still playing, I would be doing everything I could to push for it to happen. You think sports can set an example to to restore uh, whatever form of normalcy we have? I do. Uh, you know, uh, Tony Jones had a good poem um, the other day that I read, and he he pointed out that it's probably good right now that sports aren't happening. Uh, I think the word he used was the deodorant to mask this injustice that's going on um, in 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 our society. That's, that's that's been perpetuated for for centuries in our society, and, and I agree with that. Um, you know, it's probably good right now that we don't have the distraction because there are legitimate injustices in our society that have not been dealt with that need to be fixed. Um, that being said, I, I think part of why there's so much mayhem going on right now is the fact that everybody was cooped up for two and a half months inside their homes. Um, Forty-some million Americans lost their jobs. There's financial uncertainty. There's um, health uncertainty. There's fear being promulgated and spread, um, some deservedly and, and much more undeservedly, high and low. And so people have been stirred up into a panic, and that is absolutely contributing to the mayhem that's going on right now. And um, just mental health, just in general, you know, is just under attack right now. People are, are anxious. They're depressed. They're, they're fearful. There's just so many emotions going on. And... I think sports is is a great outlet. I think it's just a fantastic release from the pressures of society and politics and work and mortgages and diapers and all the things that we as humans that we deal with and we face. I think sports is a fantastic way to get away from those things, to relax, to root for a common team, to cheer, to cry when your team loses, to cry when your team loses to their rival up the state nine times in a row. Um, I personally, I, I can't wait to get that distraction back, and I think it's important for society. You expecting higher quality football or lower quality football? I mean, these are off-season workouts and the whole structure of them. College and pro, and they're different changes at different levels, but have they really lost a lot? This, Or are we going to find out that that was kind of busy, make work, you do something because you got time, but it doesn't really impact winning and losing? Yeah, so I think at the college level, you'll see a bigger drop-off than at the professional level just because of the nature of, of the individuals, the skill level of the individuals involved, and just the attention to detail to their craft. The professionals, um, by and large, will have spent more time to stay in shape, to stay on top of their game, and to be ready to go when and if the season rolls around. Um, the college kids, they don't have the financial they don't have the, the motivation and just the skills um, to, to compete or to, to stay competitive at the same level. I don't think there will be a huge drop-off, but I think if there is a drop-off, there will be more of one at the college than the, the professional level. The good thing about football, uh, different than other sports, like you take golf or you take basketball, if you know, those, those sports, there's going to be 
a, a, a bigger drop off when you haven't been on the court or on the on on the course um, because there it's so much about touch about rhythm about mechanics and those things are quick to go when you're not getting reps when you're not practicing when you're away from it football most of the positions in football um, is not so much about precision and about finesse and mechanics um, the quarterbacks absolutely are um, you know kicking game those sort of things but you know linebackers and offensive linemen um, you know, defensive backs, you know, those guys, they've been able to, to really stay in shape and, and practice the things that help them get better. And so that's a good thing about football is it's not going to get affected as much as some of the other sports. So you mentioned that nine in a row, Brian. It's not going to get to ten, is it? <laughs> I, it's, you do it. It's gotten so bad. I just, I just, I, I don't even know what to say about it anymore. And, you know, I love the rivalry. I'm, this is nothing new. I, it's, it's fantastic. And I love talking trash. And, and it's gotten to the point, it's like I can't even talk trash anymore because what can I freaking say at this point? It's just so embarrassing. There's this whole generation of kids that have never seen a, a Cougar win. And it just, it's something that we need so bad. We just, we just need it. I need it. All of us need it. My kids need it. And so... Uh, is it going to get to ten? I don't know, but I oh man, I would I would I would sell a lot. I would give a lot. I would pay a lot to see a Cougar victory this fall. We need it, man. Well, I think that's a good opportunity for trash talk, DJ. As Brian said, <laughs> what can BYU fans say trash talking? I you know the, the, the pro, that's the problem. The only thing we can say is is um, in my day or. In the '80s, and it's that's getting lame at this point. And so, <laughs> honestly, it's 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 to the point where we can't really say anything. On, I guess the only trash talk we could say is, you know, we could take it to the other sports and take it to the school um, and the academics. But you know, that's kind of a cop out. So, in terms of football, there is no the trash talking is over because we have played like trash for for the better part of a decade. And so, we need to do our talking on the field. Um, I, 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 I think we have every chance to win every single time we play those guys. Um, and for, for a decade now, they have found a way to win. Most, almost every game has been close. Um, you know, there's the one year where we had a crap ton of, well, we have a crap ton of turnovers every time, but there was the one really bad year that got away from us down in Provo. Um, and that one was ugly. But other than that, every game has been close. And Utah has found a way to win at the end of the game. And we just we got to find a way to flip that script. Brian, if you don't say something, I'm going to get a whole bunch of tweets about how last year's game wasn't close. Wasn't close? You said most of them. Um, I mean, I, yeah, it, it, wasn't, it wasn't close as the other ones, no. Um, it was very, very close until a pick six flipped it up wide open. Yeah. Um, the first yeah, half, obviously, it. was extremely, extremely competitive. Um, and that's the thing, you know, it's, it's all, it's turnovers. It, it, that has been our biggest Achilles heel every single year. We just, we just gift points to the other team. And Utah is extremely opportunistic. They're extremely efficient at getting turnovers, at, at, at scoring off turnovers, because turnovers aren't worthless, but they're next to worthless if you don't score off of them. And Utah's very good at scoring off of them. That's the, the biggest way that you, BYU will up, upend this streak and win is not coughing up the football. 
Well, Brian, I mean, I think you should go to Wilson's knee was down on that pick. Plus, if I remember, it was by Francis Bernard who got his start at BYU, and it wouldn't have been nothing if not for BYU. There's, there you go. That, he's our guy. He's one of our guys. We we prepped him, and then he came back yeah. and ripped our hearts out. So, right. <laughs> I, I, you know, it, and it's just honestly that game. Um, Woulda, coulda, shoulda. Who knows what happens if that that play that play changed the whole game? And the the, the, the tragedy of that play is Tyson Williams was wide open and and would have you know at least got twenty thirty yards um, if Wilson could have just got the ball. Over, um, over Bernard and and into Tyson's hands, but woulda, coulda, shoulda. Utah got oh, it done. Yeah. We didn't. No, it, that, Williams would have caught it. And he would have scored, and you would have won. And we would have won exactly. I'm taking that to yeah, the bank. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Brian. We'll leave it there. We appreciate a few minutes as always. Thanks for coming on the show. Hey, it's good to chat with you guys. Um, just in parting, I'd just like to say to every listener, um, just love. Just love, man. I love being alive. I love sports. You know, I love the human race, and I just uh, I hope that people can can overcome the differences and be like a, a a sports team locker room and just push towards the common goal of appreciation, dignity, and the advancement of the human race. Brian Keel, former BYU and NFL linebacker, joining us right here on ninety-seven five and twelve eighty, the Zone. DJ and PK is brought to you in part by Action Plumbing, Heating, and Electrical. Spring into action now. Mention this ad and receive $33 off any service. Call Action Plumbing today at 801-833-3333. That's 801-833-3333. Take the zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of the zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo, wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. We are all hurting for the Floyd family and, and our country. You know, I can speak for our entire staff and our team in that regard for sure. Where there are people, there's going to be hate. There's going to be racism and greed and jealousy and crime and so on because we live in a sinful, fallen world. We've had so much bad news. I'm glad I don't have social media because my reaction would probably jump on social media and say things I shouldn't say and regret, and I'm glad I don't have that. It's Dabo Sweeney right there. He is, of course, the football coach at Clemson. An example of what he is talking about, uh, a guy we've had on the show before, Grant Napier, a longtime Sacramento Kings play-by-play announcer. I was in Sacramento in 1991, and he was a play-by-play guy then. I don't know how many years he'd been at that point. I think he went back to like 88 because I think he did 32 years. He started winning in 88, yeah. So he was fired from his sports talk show host by the station. And then uh, so he lost his sports show there. And he resigned from his Kings post after tweeting out All Lives Matter. There was a back and forth on social media between him and DeMarcus Cousins, which I don't know, but I assume goes back to when Cousins was playing there. So I think there's some backstory we don't know that we can probably guess at. Uh, but he lost his job. Uh, got fired from one and resigned from another. And that is uh, exactly what Dabo Sweeney is talking about right there. Um, usually we recap what's happening 
during this show or during this segment of the show, we recap what happened in the first three and a half hours of the show for those of you joining it late. And it is brought to you by uh, by Larry H. Miller, Chrysler, Jeep, Dodge, Ram, and Sandy. Find your deals online at LHMDeals.com. But we might as well get to some of the new news here, too, because uh, Woj is tweeting out, more details now about what the NBA season is going to look like. And this started coming out uh, just while we were talking to Brian Keel in the last segment. 22 teams playing eight regular season games. So we're going to get, uh, my guess is they're going to play every day. PK, that sounds like it's going to be about two and a half weeks. Eight regular season games to tune up for the playoffs, Woj says. And then uh, and he reconfirms the 22 that we've been hearing for a while. So we already heard, and we talked about this earlier, October 12th for the finals, the seventh game of the NBA Finals. That's as long as they'll stretch it out, which is about a month longer than we heard. I was pretty surprised to hear that. The eight games, uh, I always thought it had to be in that 7 to 10 range. If you do more than 10 games, that's going to be more than three weeks of regular season. I don't think people want to be down in Orlando that long. And they needed some of the teams needed seven to get to 70 to get the full payday for the season from the regional sports network. So eight's just about the right ballpark. Well, a couple of things come to mind. They're going to have to redo the schedule because some of those games are going to be, I would think, scheduled against teams who aren't going to be participating. Yep. And then how are they going to take care financially of the teams that are not participating? I don't know the answer to that, and Woj has not been tweeting that out. I assume that's being addressed. Um, you know, to the degree that teams – don't want to go to Orlando, maybe they don't get compensated. Uh, everyone, I assume, gets compensated from the playoff pool. So there's uh, that revenue, that chunk of revenue, that chunk of cash, uh, I assume gets split up like it normally does. I think what you're referencing here is those eight teams that don't finish out their local or regional TV contracts with the regional sports networks, you know, what happens there? Um, but there's also expenses with going to Orlando. Maybe they get to check out of both of them. I don't know. I, I assume one of the reasons it's taken so long to do this is those are some of the dozens and dozens of details that are, you know, details really <laughs> under, <laughs> underemphasizes how important, uh, you know, that cash is, whether you're getting it or whether you're spending it. Yeah, I'd be interested. Uh, no, I mean, I won't be super interested. Those are, I'm more into the competition of it, but I'm, I'm, I'm more maybe just curious to see how it would play out as far as that goes, and what are they going to do with the scheduling? How are they going to reschedule? Because in order to get those games, I don't think they're just going to pick up right where they left off, I wouldn't think. I don't see how they can. To your point that you know somebody's got games scheduled with the Warriors who aren't going, and somebody's got games scheduled with the Cavaliers who aren't going, so you gotta you got to iron all that out. And I assume that some of the best teams will be a little uh, <clears throat> made-for-TV magic on this schedule. And uh, I'd be surprised if the Lakers don't play the Clippers once. Okay. But also, too, when you look at it, there's teams that are fighting for playoff positioning, right? Not, yep. well, not just positioning, so, but literally fighting to get into the playoffs. Mm-hmm. So how are you going to balance that out to make it fair for everybody? I think you're going to tell the teams that are fighting to get into the playoffs that there's going to be some type of play-in tournament, whether it's one game at some point. You know, maybe they protect that eight seed who you know in the West and Memphis who's in, <laughs> and they say, "Hey, it's two out of three when it gets to you." But there's some kind of ladder where it's one game going up to that. So, but as far as seeding, I don't think they do protect those teams. I think you're going to accept that it's an unbalanced schedule, and the way the race for three, four, five, six is going, could there be teams separated by a half game because they don't play the number the same number of games? Yes. Could there be somebody who had to play the Lakers four times and somebody who had to play them twice? 
Well, somebody got to beat up on the Warriors four times. Somebody else only got to beat up on them twice. Yeah, and I think those inequities is just going to have to be sorry, but there's nothing we can do about it, and we're moving on. Okay, so you're going to have a play-in to get into the playoff. So what you do is you have some of these guys play, if you have eight games, play two or three games, and then you tell them, well, we're already in the play-in, so take a couple of these games off to get yourself ready for the play-in to the playoff. I hope not. <laughs> I mean, if you're going to Orlando to take time off, you're already going to be sitting around the hotel room. I mean, are the rides working? Is that what these guys are doing on the off day? I would think at this point you're going to play. I do think what you'll see uh, is not people taking whole games off. I probably shouldn't promise that with Kawhi. Uh, but not taking whole games off, but you'll see a lot of guys on minute restrictions and they'll be using depth. Maybe they won't announce them as minute restrictions, but I think when we look at the box scores, instead of seeing guys play 38 minutes, we're going to be seeing guys play 28 minutes, uh, especially early on as they work back into this. Oh, yeah, that makes sense. So I think that's where we'll see the limits, as opposed to a guy not going at all. Now, you know, guys, there's bound to be some guys who get hurt and some guys will have to get held out, and I guess then we can... We can say we, we can, at, th- at that point when we see the player and the team and the situation and the schedule and their timeline, how much of this is precautionary and how much of this is uh, uh, it's just hurt. It can't go. And so we'll probably take those one by one as we uh, as, as they happen. But I, I don't think they're going to schedule them into back to backs, which is where a lot of players do take the games off. Oh, I would have double headers. Forget back to back. You will not have double headers. If I thought were, they were talking about playing doubleheaders to get to 144. You're talking baseball. I was talking basketball. Oh, Stop it. I, I get so confused. No, I don't think you do. <laughs> All right, so we'll, uh, we'll keep track of Woj here and see what else he tweets out in the next few minutes. But uh, 13 from the West, 9 from the East, 8 regular season games, playing for the 8th spot, July 31 through October 12th. And so those are going to be the key things that are proposed to the owners uh, or the Board of Governors who can be the owner or another designated person. Uh, but the Board of Governors will vote tomorrow to rat- ratify that. Yeah. It seems like a rubber stamp. It seems like it's going to happen. I- I'm going to vote yes. Don't worry about it. All right. That kid. Act- I am the representative. You are not. <laughs> we know Jim Olson is because we saw him walking with a commissioner or at least within a couple steps of the commissioner, uh, down the hallway, apparently going from one meeting to another on SportsCenter last night. There he was. Uh, I, I don't know if it was taped. I don't know if it was live but when they uh, filmed it. But, yeah. no, I, I'm, I'm a representative for the uh, Virginia Squires. <laughs> ABA humor, people. <laughs> Name your ABA teams. Let's go. <laughs> the, Flo- the Memphis Tams. The Florida Floridians. That's all I got. Where are the Kentucky Colonels when you need them? All right, uh, other stuff we've uh, other stuff we've talked about uh, today. The uh, NFL not going back to their team facilities until training camp, and the teams that have taken camps on the road. And you know, if you're a Cowboy fan and they come to California every year, well, forget about that. And the Packers and the Chiefs, they're all going to be uh, going to be in their own facilities. And it won't do anything until then. So none of the weekends and the kind of, um, you know, the mini camps, any of, all, all that's shut down. So Right. But it does seem like the NFL is on track from everything we hear. And there was a uh, quote we had earlier this morning um, uh, that came from their, uh, the uh, medical guy, Alan Sills, who's the NFL chief medical officer, talking about how optimistic he is. Kind of along the lines of what we heard from the Big 12 commissioner a couple of days ago. 
Uh, baseball. So the Major League Baseball Players Association has reportedly embraced the proposal from the owners to only play a regional schedule during the 2020 regular season. They won't be heartbroken by not having a bunch of coast-to-coast flights. So that's a positive. Are they trying to accentuate the positive here as they try to bridge the gap and get back? Because it sounded pretty good, then it sounded bad. But it just doesn't sound – I mean, it does, there isn't any logic to them not playing. I get the owners and the players don't trust each other, but they both lose if there's no season. And it sets the stage for a really contentious negotiation. And that's just – it's going to cost everybody money. It's going to hurt the owners and the values of franchises, and the players are going to miss out. However long – however much longer they've got left in the major leagues, they're burning that time right now. And for one guy, he might have two years left, and for one guy, he might have seven. It just doesn't make any sense to seem to give that up. Yeah, particularly since you've already missed a postseason back 20-some years ago, and now you would do it again. I mean, would you be the only sport to do that? I mean, the others have had lockouts and strikes and whatnot. We understand that from time to time, and we deal with it, and we get through it. But to not have postseasons, am I missing anything? Has there been any type of work stoppage that has caused the postseason to be gone? The NHL lost an entire year, including the playoffs, one time. But the NBA and the NFL, as much as they've had the start of seasons, and one time for Major League Baseball, it was the middle of a season yeah. in 81, they've always gotten it together and come up with some kind of postseason. Now, they've been weird postseasons. There was one year the NFL had 16 teams in the playoffs. And there was one year that uh, that was in uh, – Yach is squinting at us. Yach, I don't believe you were born yet, but go back and check uh, – Eight, 1982, I think. They played a nine-game regular season, so they let okay. 16 teams in the playoffs. And uh, in 81, Major League Baseball started the season, played about a third of the year, then had a labor stoppage, didn't do anything for a couple months in the middle of the season. When they restarted, they declared it, like the minor leagues, the second half. And so whoever won the second half played whoever won the first half and then those winners played, and he went to the league championship from the World Series. But the weird thing that happened that year is the Reds ended up with the best record in baseball, but didn't win. They were in the National League West then. They didn't win either half, and they didn't go to the postseason. So everyone hollered about that. Oh, it was a joke. I mean, Pete Rose and Joe Morgan, Cesar Cedeno, those guys didn't get to see them play. That was outrageous. Where is Johnny Bench when you want to see him? All right, so that's the, uh, the baseball. It seems like they found something positive to say. It doesn't mean they have a deal, but they found one positive thing to say, and we'll see if uh, they bridge whatever gap they have, get their act together, and uh, get out there and play. Because then, we always talk about the best month, and October and March are usually the months most people circle as the best months in sports. And usually it's because the calendar is so congested and there's so many big games and championships and important stuff going on. But we're going to be looking at a period from Labor Day to October 12th. We're going to have, well, depending on what the baseball season looks like, uh, maybe that'll all be regular season baseball. Maybe the postseason will be pushed back a little bit. But we're going to have baseball, football, and basketball at the same time, including the NBA playoffs. Yeah, and that's a shame. I scheduled three weeks vacation right during that time. Darn the luck. What are you going to do? <laughs> the, the one thing you would never do is take vacation during the college football season. So literally no one who's listening to this show thinks you would do that. <laughs> oh, yeah, I'm going away to the man cave. I'm paying no attention whatsoever to your favorite 12 weeks of the year. No chance, PK. Nope. All right, DJ and PK, there you go. That's what's been going on. That's what we've been talking about this morning. We had Guy Holiday on. We could not possibly recap all the things he had to say. Uh, but a guy who grew up in Baltimore, went to college in Pennsylvania, has coached everywhere from the SEC to the Ivy League, has been at Utah and BYU, gave his thoughts 
on uh, what he's seeing, uh, why he's seeing it, what we can do. Um, <laughs> it was, uh, it was uh, I, I can't say it was all-encompassing because, as he said early, he could go for a couple hours. He only went for about half an hour. Uh, but we enjoyed having him on. It was a good interview, and it's up at 1280thezone.com. And you should uh, go and listen to Guy Holiday's thoughts there. Uh, appreciate him coming on the show. Brian Keel's interview will be up shortly, too. Yach's working on that right now. Uh, of course, you can Just hear— Just live. Oh, oh, Keel's up now? Okay. Uh, you can hear all every hour of every show there, but some of the interviews are pulled out as well. You can go to our website and catch up on anything you missed, 1280thezone.com. DJ and PK, your feedback coming up next. And it's all over almost here. Don't go nowhere. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. It is time for your feedback. People are uh, tweeting at us their take on everything you've heard during this show. So let's get it to you. It's brought to you by Audi Salt Lake City. We can pick up a new Audi Q5 SUV for only $3.59 per month. Visit Audi Salt Lake City at 999 South State or AudiSaltLakeCity.com. We got people tweeting... uh, at his uh, Homer Simpson walking down the sidewalk, ringing a bell, and he's got a sandwich board on that says the end is near. End of what? <laughs> Everything. The end of the world, the I show? suppose. The end of the, well, the end of the show is definitely near. That we can guarantee. Scotty and Hans are coming up here in about uh, eight minutes. Uh, you Shasta Trailer tweeting at us, uh, viruses, killer hornets, riots in the streets. As Uton Cougar fans agreeing on things, the last sign of the end of days. L-O-L. End of what days? Our days. Human life on planet Earth. The end Ooh. of times. I'm not ready for that yet. Biblical prophecy. Uh, Ute Shasta Trailer, who is obviously you can tell from the handle, a massive Ute fan, listened to uh, uh, Brian Keel breaking down the turnover issues, the big plays that have sunk BYU year after year over the last decade. And you Shasta Trailer tweets back at him, On behalf of Ute fans everywhere, Brian, we appreciate the fetching heck out of BYU giving us all those points without the Utah defense making any effort whatsoever. It's obviously the only reason Utah wins. And Brian tweeted back at him, So glad we're on the finally, finally on the same page with the laughing, winking emoji. Yeah, I don't think I think Brian actually said if you don't score on turnovers, what's the point of having the turnovers? Right. And so Utah has literally scored on turnovers. They didn't even need the offense. I mean, f- at least three come to mind. Francis Bernard to the end zone. Yeah, I think Blackman's had two of them, didn't he? He had the one uh, a couple years back when the Cougs took the big lead, and I think that was that was pretty much a game changer when he had a pick six. Julian Blackman did, so that mattered. And then there was that one freaky game. When, didn't the Utes have like five or six turnovers and still won? Yeah. Yeah, they did have Crazy. a game like that. But that goes back to Brian's point. Yeah, you got the turnovers, but if you don't score off them, you don't win the game. So, right. Got to get more points off them. Whether, and whether that's the scoop and score, the pick six, or just getting the offense a short field and then they cash in. But, you know, if the offense goes three and out and punts or, uh, you know, misses a field goal or something, uh, you know, the momentum swings right back. Yeah, man, it's just stunning to believe that they could be going to 10 in a row. That is just so amazing. That is an incredible, incredible streak that Utah has been on. Just by dumb luck, you'd think you'd win one or two. And let's call it like it is. In that bowl game, if that would have continued another five minutes, BYU would have won. 
Uh, there were defensive scores in that game. Who scored in that one? Well, there was like about seven of them. <laughs> well, I don't think so because it's 35-28. All in the first quarter, I think. <laughs> five straight turnovers and they scored off all of them? Or five, Who didn't four of the score five? in that one? It's easier <laughs> that way. <laughs> uh, the, the nine in a row turned into ten. You're getting into uh, record-breaking ground in the, uh, in the series between these teams. Both teams have had nine-game win streaks, but... Neither team has had a 10-game win streak. Um, BYU broke some of those with ties in the early days, and uh, no one's ever won 10 in a row in this. So we'll see if the Utes get yeah, it done now. Yeah, if, if it gets to 10, you, then you start to have to question how much of a rivalry is it. Does one offset it, or if there's one win followed by another six or seven? Because uh, Lavelle, it was, what, 18 out of 20? I think he had a couple yeah. of nine-game streaks. Yes, because that team that wins it celebrates crazily, and then they talk about it. That was one yeah. of the things when I moved here. They were still talking about that game, and I, I didn't remember that game for the life of me. wasn't paying a lick of attention to it, but it was such a significant game. And now that game, it still stands in the lore, but it doesn't have near the recognition because there's been so many. And if BYU, at some point, they're going to win, that game will be akin to that game that was in the late 80s. Yeah. Six in a row, then nine in a row, then four in a row with a couple of uh, streak-busting wins for the Utes mixed in in Lavelle's day. So Kyle's got it to nine in a row, and now we'll see if they can, uh, they can push it to ten. All right, DJ and PK, thanks to Brian Keel for coming on. Thanks to Guy Holiday for coming on. Their interviews are both up at 1280thezone.com, and Scott and Hands are up next. Stay with us.